Being a professional isn't about the money you make, the position you hold, your level of expertise or fame. It's the motivation and the attitude you bring to your work. A desire for always learning and improving and balancing your creative output with getting the business done. Welcome and join the Creating Pros. Hi, and welcome back to Creating Pros. I'm your host, Jim Nettles. This week, I want to talk about three things that interconnect that are going to potentially affect every creative out there, as well as may actually affect all the fans that are out there, all the businesses that interact, and deal with intellectual property. So there's three things that have all kind of happened here in the last couple of months. First thing I want to touch on, um, much like I, uh, much as I kind of prognosticated, we saw that the uh, the copyright office came in and said that any work that was created or generated using AI was not going to be protected by copyright. In essence, that as soon as it was created, it would fall into the public domain. Now, one of the things I do want to make note of here is this is much more about um, things being being generated in text. And uh, but when we look at things much more like what's being done in film, uh, things like Midjourney with the AIs, things like this, and also looking at even some of the AI created music, there's a lot of things in play, including a number of lawsuits. So let's kind of take this idea that things are falling into the public domain, but that does not mean that the source material that it came from is going to be doing so. The second thing here that gets really interesting is the idea of the writer strike. And so for those of you who may or may not have been following the writer strike, one of the things that's coming out of the writer strike and what the writer's rooms are looking at is number one, streaming services and how they generate and earn royalties, um, how royalties will be handled and managed in this age of basically streaming. But one of the other bigger concerns is about how AI may or may not be used in the script and in the writing room. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of talk and a lot of review going on about the fact that writers' rooms are becoming much less about being long-term engagements, seasonal engagements, to being almost much more of the gig economy. So one of the things we're seeing a lot of are you know people being in, tied in and engaged for short series. Um, mini streaming series, you know, you may get one season, but uh, there's a lot of question there about how they should be getting compensated. But one of the other big pieces is how can AI be used in the writer's room, if at all? And what happens if a series starts using AI-generated content? And right now, this is kind of the backbone of the writer strike is looking at what would it mean for AI to be used in the writer's rooms for scripted television. The third thing I want to touch on, and it may seem a little curious here as to how these things fit together, but it is the fact that the Supreme Court has finally ruled on the, the case about the image of Prince that was used by Andy Warhol to create a series of prints. Now, what could these three things have to do with each other? Well, Fundamentally, the way that I see this is that the Supreme Court's ruling came out in a way that really addressed the idea of derivative works, but it did so in a very narrow focus. So one of the things that has we've, we saw Andy Warhol and his art as was very much taking and 
using and leveraging other people's original creative works, you know, famously things like the, you know, the Campbell soup can, Marilyn Monroe pictures. We've seen obviously the Prince picture, a lot of other work used over time to create these new original works. So again, what would these three topics really have to do with each other? And it really boils down to a couple of things. Number one is the idea of we're seeing a strengthening of a recognition of the value of what creators do and a much more recognition of what the product of the human mind is. Now, the particular Supreme Court case, what they found was, in specific, was not necessarily that it was that much of a problem with the use of the image, but that they should have paid a licensing fee. Had Andy Warhol or the estate, when that came up, paid a licensing fee, we would not have had the case that was here. That being said, some of the language in the case and some of the language in the findings, while from a creator standpoint, we can all look at this and say that a lot of good came out of this because it is a recognition of the value of original work. It is a recognition that derivative works are there, they're important, but at the same time, even if you're using a derivative work, if you're not meeting a certain standard, then yes, it is still very much an infringement. And it didn't take much in the gray lines of this Supreme Court case to come in and say, no, you really didn't materially change it that much. But also the fact that there was an easy mechanism by which they could have licensed the work, have paid the creator, and avoided all of this in time. Now, what would you say that that potentially has to do with the writer's strike? Well, what the writer's strike is looking at is going to be the fight for creativity in basically Hollywood. And not only Hollywood, but a lot of what we would consider mainstream art. And regardless how you feel about streaming services, regardless of how you feel about network TV, film, all these kinds of projects, writers are a critical part of that backbone. We're not yet to a point where an AI can go and crank out a viable script or really a viable book. But they can now do a lot of things in terms of generating frameworks, generating ideas putting things together in a way that human creators may not have looked at them entirely. So the idea now that we're looking at, we're putting much more constraint around derivative works. The fact that all these AI tools that we're using are in essence operating because of derivative work. Now the question is becoming back to this original view of what does this mean? when I use one of these tools, that it falls into the public domain automatically. Well, that also raises the question of, if I use a tool like this to start creating a book or work, if I use an AI-generated tool to create a book, if I use an AI-generated tool um, to help manipulate artwork, um, much like we're seeing a lot of more advanced Photoshopping-type tools that are using uh, AI video, what if we look at AI-generated art, music, these sort of moving pieces? Well, there's two questions there. Number one, what do we do for the creators and compensation of the creators whose work was used in teaching these different tools and platforms? And this is going to be a question that I think is going to be a big challenge. We already see a lot of lawsuits that are flowing through the system. 
And even beyond the lawsuits, we're starting to see a lot of the ethical questions about it. Much like I talked about a few months ago, to an extent, we've already seen the AI bubble burst. But beyond the AI bubble, we're now seeing much more of a bubble machine. It is the idea that we're seeing things pop up and generate so quickly that you can't really catch up with the technology. Technology is continuing to grow, expand, change, and will continue to do that on a much more rapid pace than, honestly, the court system can keep up with and that lawmakers can keep up with. At some point, we'll decide on what that, that current standard is and what that ethical standard is. But what we're going to be relying on are going to be fundamental cases like this with the Andy Warhol, uh, the, the Andy Warhol lawsuit. And as we look and continue to go through these steps, here's going to be the things that I think we as creators need to keep in mind. A, these tools are here. They're not going away. They're not going anywhere. I've had a lot of meetings, a lot of conversations, both in the business world, the technology world, and in the creative world with people who are either A, aggressively embracing these tools, or on the other hand, are, are absolutely fearful of these tools and want nothing to happen with them in creative spaces. And neither of these two extremes is really going to wind up being healthier or where we fall. Now, I've worked with various AI-type tools, technologies, and projects for a large part of my career. And I've used some of these AI-type tools in some of the business practices that we do, clients we work with. I've been using a lot of them for a lot of years. Even before that, I've done a lot, lot of work with um, business intelligence tools, other things like this, where we're actually working with tools. But again, that's what these things are. Now, the rapid acceleration and the rapid development we see with growth in these different tools, I think we're starting to see some of the early limitations, which we can consolidate and accumulate information. We can regenerate patterns. We can go in and have it do develop and do code work that will build programmatically things that are happening. So like things I'm doing in the technology industry, we're both using these tools as well as having a lot of people look at these tools and say, what does this mean in the short and the long-term for architects, developers, testers? And these are the kinds of questions we're looking at and facing. In the creative community, we're looking at much the same thing. Again, these tools are here. They're not going to go away. I personally have a lot of big ethical issues, and there are projects I'm working on right now where we are actively having to evaluate how we're going to judge and create or treat basically AI-generated work. Um, in looking at these kinds of projects, and I've, I've had conversations with some people who are like, don't care. If the AI does a good enough job, publish the story. Well, again, there's also questions there in terms of how does that need to be labeled? How does that need to be judged? So in other words, when you see somebody out there on, you know, running a Facebook ad that tells you, oh, you can write a book in a day, you can get your cover off of Midjourney, you know, for 50 bucks, you're in, out, done, and you have a book and you'll be making a million on Amazon tomorrow. For any writer in their space, they understand quite well that, A, it takes a lot of work work and time 
And just creating the book is the first step in the creative process. Whether that's fiction or nonfiction, I do both. Whether that is in <clears throat> research and educational spaces, whether it's in the business and technology space, I've written in a lot of these different areas. So when I look at these AI-generated tools, for example, if we look at Bard or ChatGPT, we look at some of the other various large language models that are out there. They are useful tools. I use them for certain very specific things, but I don't use them to replace my writing. I can use them to help proofread. I can use them to help do certain things like grammar checking. If you're using Word, Microsoft Word, you're now using an AI tool as it's now built into the product. If you're using Grammarly, if you're using ProWritingAid, you've been using some of the earlier generation AI tools for a while. So I don't think that we're looking at something here that is in terms of something for fear, but I think it's one of those things where we've got to ethically understand where do we draw the line. In my personal view, I do think that companies like Amazon should be rating and grading independently and self-published work to go and tell you, is it AI generated or not? Those tools and those platforms exist. There are ways of doing that today very easily. And I personally think that Amazon has a certain ethical um, right and a certain ethical obligation, as do Barnes & Noble and Nook or Kobo or any of these print-on-demand services, Smashwords, Draft2Digital, any of these kinds of services now have an obligation, if you are servicing much more than a small audience, to be scanning and, and grading the work to come out there and say, this is AI-generated work or appears to be and is not subject to copyright. So therefore, it's in the public domain type of work and should be labeled as such, not copyrightable to the person who's submitting it. I think that also it's one of those things that the reader should be made aware of that they might be looking at to purchase, read, or, or work with something in the public domain. You know, if we look at somebody who is taking editing and republishing classical, uh, you know, classical works, taking some of the old Shakespeare, taking, um, you know, even something more current, for example, a Sherlock Holmes story, for those things that are in the public domain. If you're taking those editing, you know, maybe shaving some of the edges off, polishing them to modern language, you cannot copyright those because it's not an original work. You can copyright your changes, but you can't copyright the work. Well, in my view, Amazon should be going out there and grading because we know these tools are there. We know these submissions are becoming extraordinarily prevalent. And I think that there is an obligation here to label these and say, no, you really can't copyright this. I think that also as we look at the copyright office, if you're going to go submit for copyright and to try to get full protection, work should also be scanned, graded, and you should have to actually avow that this is originally created work. And I think that we're going to see these changes come and come quite quickly. Um, I think that there's also the possibility we could see some of these services. If somebody submits a work that is generated based off of these AI tools, that we possibly could even be seeing a day where some portion of any royalties, payments, sales would also then wind up going into a fund that would be used to, co to help compensate any creators whose work was generated into some of these engines. Now, some of that may or may not come to pass. Other parts of this, I think, are definitely going to be coming. And I think we have an obligation as creators 
to ask that Amazon and other large platforms take some due diligence and understand the work that's coming in. Now, I think one of the other things that will happen is this. Because we have these tools now, it's much easier to go in grade and say, what kind of language is in a work? What's the quality of writing? Has it been edited well? And I think that we can see a number of these kinds of tools also helping to grade the work that's going up for commercial sale. And I think this is going to be one of those things that can both be helpful to and also hurt you know, the indie writer, but also do the same thing for a lot of the, the mid-list and traditional publishers as well. Because again, if we start looking at grading the work and trying to talk about originality, this is going to be one of those things I think that can encourage that sort of originality. So if we are looking at wanting to restrict the use of these tools in writer's rooms for large-scale uh, large commercial productions, if we're looking to go out there and say, no, my original product of the mind has a much greater value than your chat GPT generated work or piece of art generated through MidJourney or one of the other AI uh, creator platforms. If we're looking to say that your prompt generated music, video, anything else like that has less value, then this is going to be part of the conversation too. Because I don't know that we necessarily are ready in a place to say that because again, if somebody appreciates work, they appreciate the work. I think what we need to do though is make sure that we're very clearly labeling those products which are a product of the human mind through writing and creativity, through artwork, through music, through film, versus things that were done using AI tools. And I think in terms of where we're going, all of us are using these tools, whether we intend to or not. And looking at the future, looking at where these tools are coming and going, I think that if we're cognizant of these are just tools that we can use that will help us improve our writing, improve our creativity, they will help us improve what we can do from an audio, video, and a visual standpoint. They're going to be prompts. They're going to be things that can speed up the speed with which we can work. And I equate these again to much things like Photoshop with doing photo editing, cover art, these sorts of tools. So what I would encourage everybody to do is look at all three of these events that have happened in the last few months. Consider the idea of this lawsuit with the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is coming in and saying, no, there truly is value in original work and the original product of the mind, and those creators deserve to be paid for it. Underlying that message is also the idea that derivative works are going to be judged much more succinctly in terms of what is and what is not fair use. That has a potential to have a really strong chilling effect across the creative community. What is fair use? What is open to use? And at what point has something been changed enough to really be a new derivative work? What I want everybody to take out of this is the idea that we as a society are facing another major seed change in how we operate and how we look at the world. And for those who embrace these tools and look at them as ways to speed up productivity, as ways to encourage creativity, as ways to look at and maybe help them get through 
the creative process and the business of being a creative, they're going to be the people that are much more successful in the generation to come. I think there's going to be an opening for those people that declare themselves to be artisans that say, no, I firmly will not use these tools at all. I think that that's going to be harder and harder and harder to do to entirely avoid using them. Because again, if you're writing and you're submitting things in Word and you're using the defaults of the industry, you by now are inherently starting to use these tools, at least to some rudimentary extent. So what I do want everyone to take away from this conversation today is for those that are creators, we're seeing an embrace and a value of the work you do. When we look at what's happening with the writer's strike, when we look at how we're forcing the industry and the commercial industry to look at how we value writers, artists, musicians, basically it is all but the small handful of people that make large dollars in the industry, right? There's nothing wrong for the person that makes the millions. There's nothing wrong. In fact, that's what we should all be striving for if that's what you want, is you should be looking for that big success. But at the same time, the vast majority of creatives, if you're lucky, you make a good solid living at it. But that means you're always working. You're always networking. You're promoting yourself. You're promoting your work and you're building your skills. In this lies one of my greatest concerns that what we're going to see in the future is this. As we see a growth in the use of these kinds of tools, what we're going to lose is how people learn. It's how you get experience. If we look at the idea of a writer's room, if you're sitting there in the writer's room, it's the experience on set and working with actors and running a writer's room for long periods of time that lets you see how TV industry works, how movie industry works, how even the theater and play industry works. Because what you are is you're there. The writer is there with the actors and they're part of the creative process. They're able to adapt and refine and revise and take the collective ideas of all the creatives sitting there at the table. Actors often do come up with ideas for their characters, a way that story may develop better than what the writer did, especially when you have guest writers in or people that are in or out of the writer's room. And as we lose more of that going to much more of the streaming and short season modality, what we're also losing is the experience of people that are there on set watching production for years over time. They're not getting the same kind of an education in terms of how the business works. Now, if you're a novel writer, our business really hasn't changed that much. If you are an artist, your business is changing rapidly because you're getting new tools. But if you're an oils artist, you're still an oils artist. You just have new tools that are out there to help maybe inspire or to help you run the business side of selling your work, social media, all of these sorts of things. So what I would encourage everybody out there to do is take a hard look at how you view these tools. And in that light, look at how you value your work. Because no matter what, one of the biggest challenges we still face and one of the biggest problems that all of these new AI tools may create for us 
is going to be, continue to be the problem where people question, was this created by a human mind? What's the value of the work that I'm looking at? When we look at these streaming services, when we look at things like Kindle Unlimited, when we look at things that in the mind of the consumer continue to devalue the quality of our work or the volume of our work, this is where I see the biggest problems. We as creators and the companies that enable delivery of our work have done a lot to help devalue the work to get it delivered to the largest masses because that's where the profit motive is. The problem here is how much the creators are being paid in this process depending on the delivery mode. And in some cases, it's not necessarily tied to the quality of the work because at the end of the day, it really often shouldn't be. Because as creators, if we're, if we're writing books, if we're creating music, what we really should be paid is based off of how well we reach an audience. How well can we drive and sell our work? So if AI tools help you write faster, if they help you create more, create a little differently, find new outlets, then yes, I would say look at and embrace them. But if you're looking for it to re replace your creative process, you're going to destroy your career quite quickly, I believe, in most fronts, because people are learning to recognize AI quickly. Now, AI is going to continue to change and to grow and to adapt. And as that happens, that also means that it's going to become harder and harder to tell what is or is not AI. But I still believe that we're a long ways away from crossing what I've been referring to as the uncanny valley of AI. That is the point at which we look at something and we know it may or may not feel quite right and we don't know what it's missing or we don't know why it's not quite right, but we just know it's not. And for creatives, the ability to take something and then make it our own, the ability to take a derivative work and be inspired, the ability to see something that you've never seen before in maybe a different light and find the way to be creative is what artists and creators have always done. So until next week, think about how you value your work. Think about how you value your intellectual property. Think about what it means to you. Then you can contemplate what these AI tools may mean to you and how it's going to affect your work going forward. And until next week, this has been Creating Pros.